Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the UniSelect Inc. 2020 third quarter results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to send the conference over to your speaker today, Louis Junot, Chief Legal Officer and Corporate Secretary. Thank you. Bonjour, mesdames et messieurs. Bienvenue. Merci d'avoir patienté et bienvenue à la conférence téléphonique des résultats financiers du troisième trimestre 2020 de Unicelect Inc. Présentement, toutes les lignes des participants sont en mode d'écoute. Après la présentation, il y aura une période de questions et réponses. Pour poser une question, appuyez sur étoile 1 sur votre téléphone. Veuillez noter que la conférence d'aujourd'hui est enregistrée. Si vous avez besoin d'aide, veuillez appuyer sur étoile 0. Je vais maintenant céder la parole à M. Louis Junot, chef de la direction des affaires juridiques et secrétaire. À vous la parole. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the uh, Uniselect third quarter conference call. Presenting this morning are Brent Windham, President and CEO of Uniselect and President and CEO of the Kennedy Automotive Group and Eric Bissier, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Following their comments, we will open the call for questions. Please note that uh, all documents referred to in today's conference call, including this webcast uh, presentation, can be found on our website at uniselect.com in the Investors section. As noted on slide two, I would like to remind you about ca the caution regarding forward-looking statements, which is applied to our presentation and comments. All amounts are expressed in U.S. dollars, except as otherwise specified. With that, let, let me turn the call over to Brent. Thank you, Louis. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Our third quarter sales improved significantly through the trough experience in the second quarter, nearing the bounce back in the market. As expected, the auto parts businesses rebounded more rapidly than the paint business. First, I would like to thank our team members for their continued hard work and dedication in these continued and unprecedented and challenging times. Without them, we could not have achieved these improved results. I would also like to thank our customers and our supply partners for their unwavering support. Today, I will provide a brief overview of the market conditions, a summary of our third quarter results by business unit, an update on our COVID-19 measures and the continuous improvement plan. Following my comments, Eric will re review our profitability and financial condition, and we will provide an outlook based on the visibility as we have it today. So let's turn to page four for the general market conditions, please. It's important to highlight that our three businesses are highly correlated to their respective market performance. As a result, our third quarter sales follow the upward trend experienced in the market for most of the quarter. In the U.S., the CCC reported a month-over-month improvement from April to August, with a slight pullback in September, followed by a 
a slightly better October. On an average, the market was was down approximately 20% in the months of July, August, and September, in line with the sales decline that we have seen at Finishmaster for the third quarter. In Canada, according to the Wave Mobility and EY, the percentage of change in kilometers driven improved month over month from the trough set in April until August, returning to 2019 run rates in the summer months. However, September and October, we are seeing a slight reverse in the trend. In the UK, the impact of the pandemic hit hit hard initially, but has been the quickest market to recover. According to the UK Government Statistics Office, the car road traffic increased sequentially in the past quarter from 83% of normal levels in July to 91% in August and 92 in September. However, with a recent reconfinement, the trend is back down to 85% of normal levels in October. At this point, we are seeing some pullback in all three markets in October. TPA and the lesser extent Canada are being impacted by closures and reconfinement measures due to the second wave of COVID-19. The U.S. refinished market continues to be impacted by the driving patterns and lower miles driven with an impact on, on claims. However, we do not expect the retraction at this junction to be as severe as the second quarter. Given the market conditions and our seasonality, we're expecting softer sales in the fourth quarter. Now let's turn to the impact on currency on page five. The appreciation of the U.S. dollar compared to the Canadian dollar and the appreciation of the British pound versus the U.S. dollar translated into 2.9 million positive impact on our consolidated sales in the third quarter. Turn to page seven, please. Before I review the results of the quarter, I wanted to provide a few comments on our historical seasonality pattern. The table you see on page seven is our typical pattern pre-COVID-19. While the impact of the pandemic has distorted this typical pattern, we still expect our fourth quarter sales to be soft for the reason I mentioned earlier. Beyond that, we are currently reviewing the seasonality pattern in light of the permanent changes brought on by the pandemic. For example, the fact that the UK Ministry of Transport's mandatory testing of vehicles was pushed back will have an impact on the seasonality of TPA's results. We will provide an update as required. Turning to page eight and the key highlights for the third quarter. The overall third quarter results were better than expected by magnitude, but the magnitude varied by business unit. The actions we put in place on the onset of the pandemic clearly mitigated the impact on our results. Consolidated sales for the third quarter were down 12% to 395 million from 451 million last year primarily attributable to the slower recovery at finished master as expected, while good performances at both CAG and TPA. In fact, organic growth improved significantly from the negative 31.9% in the second quarter to a negative 12% in the third quarter. Adjusted EBITDA amount of 33 million from 38 million last year, while our consolidated sales have not returned to a normalized level, we managed to maintain our adjusted EBITDA margin at 8.4% a testament to the successful execution of our business continuity plan and our continuous productivity improvement initiatives. These actions, combined with a focus on our working capital management, translated into a strong operating cash flow generation of 62 million, which we use primarily to further reduce our debt by 47 million, a remarkable feat in these times. In the third quarter, we integrated 38 company-owned stores, primarily at Finish Master, and ended the quarter with 393 stores in the network. If you'll turn to page nine, I'll give a quick update on the continuous improvement. 
Recall that we announced some expected improvements from the CIP in June. These newly implemented initiatives are based on a long-term approach to further improve our productivity and efficiency in, in all segments, while ensuring our customer service levels remain our focus. The plan had an objective of generating 28 to 30 million in annualized savings by the end of 2020, based on the first quarter run rate, or operating run rate. In the third quarter, we generated 16 million in annualized cost savings. Combined with the savings realized in the second quarter, we generated 30 million in annualized cost savings since we launched the, pro the plan. Essentially completing an on plan, the plan on target and ahead of schedule. Having said this, there remains ongoing initiatives for Finished Master. On an ongoing basis, all three business units will continue their journey towards a continuous improvement culture. In fact, the pandemic helped us identify further opportunities to accelerate our transformation. From those, we are driving a number of initiatives in each of the businesses to improve our overall efficiencies. In conjunction with the businesses, we have formed a continuous improvement team that focuses on identifying and implementing these various initiatives. Again, I would like to thank our channel, our manufacturer channel partners as their, for their collaboration and support, and certainly our customers and our team members' success and safety are and remain our, our primary focus. Let's turn to page 10, please, for Finish Master. At Finish Master, we're experiencing the market recovery in line with what we had telegraphed in the past few months. Sales are down 24% to $163 million in line with the markets we operate, mainly related to the COVID-19. While organic, organic growth improved from, from a negative 36.6% in the second quarter to a negative 24.1% in the third quarter, the refinished market continues to be softer than other segments of the aftermarket. Having said this, we believe we are maintaining our market share and fully meeting the expectations of our customers in these challenging times. In the quarter, we integrated a number of stores while minimizing the negative impact on sales. And we ended the quarter with 148 stores or 30 less company-owned stores. We are confident we will continue to serve our customers in the same manner before with this footprint. The adjusted EBITDA decreased to $7.9 million or a margin of 4.9% from 21.4 million or a margin of 9.9% last year. The decrease is due to the lower fixed cost absorption, rebates, the timing of price increases from paint manufacturers last year, which did not repeat this year, and the shift in customer mix. It was partially compensated by the savings of the CIP and reduced expenses. In fact, we continue to see the impact from the channel shift as national accounts have grown market share by 100 to 200 basis points according to our internal data. Our teams will continue to are and continue to review the strategy required to grow our value to our customers in order to remain in our number one market position. Let's turn to page 11 for the Canadian Automotive Group. At the Canadian Automotive Group, sales returned to the 2019 run rate at 137 million, driven by acquisitions and organic growth, despite the impact of the COVID-19 on lower PBE sales. Similar to the U.S., PBE sales are also lagging versus other segments of the aftermarket in Canada. Organic growth improved significantly from a negative 18% in the second quarter to a positive 20 basis points in the third quarter. In fact, the automotive parts are solid. Despite the challenges, we are facing with the manufacturer partners on supply chain issues. In the quarter, we integrated three company-owned stores and ended, ended with 74 stores. 
the adjusted EBITDA reached 19.1 million, or a margin of 13.9%, compared to 12.6 million, or a margin of 9.2 for the same period last year. This significant improvement was driven by savings from the productivity improvements from the CIP and government subsidy, partially offset by the benefits received last year, but not repeated this year, including the sale of ProColor banner, volume rebates, and one-time incentives. Excluding the government subsidies and net of the of additional bad debt expenses, the adjusted, adjusted EBITDA <clears throat> excuse me, would still have been much better than last year at $16.1 million, or a margin of 11.7%. Our team's ability and dedication to manage the business continues to grow and is showing sustained improvements in our, profit, in our profitability. At the end of the quarter, we completed the acquisition of Pieces de Auto St. John a leading distributor of automotive parts and paints with two locations in the province of Quebec. This expands our corporate store footprint in the Montreal South Shore region and will complement our strong network of independent members. Recently, we announced the appointment of Doug Coates, SVP General Manager of the Western Region. Doug is a former CEO of one of Canada's largest privately held automotive distributors. We also announced the appointment of Jason Best to the newly expanded role of SVP General Manager of the Eastern Region. We are confident that these changes will continue to improve our focus and execution in order to pave the way for our continued success in the Canadian market. Turning to page 12 for the Parts Alliance. TPA had a strong recovery in the third quarter as the actions taken over the last few months have borne positive results for the team. Sales reached $95 million compared to $98 million last year. Organic growth improved significantly from a negative organic growth of 41.7% in the second quarter to a negative 5.3% in the third quarter, a, mark a remarkable recovery in a short period of time. In the quarter, we integrated five company-owned stores, ending the quarter with 171 stores. The adjusted, e the adjusted EBITDA reached $8.7 million, or a margin of 9.2%, to 6.5, or a margin of 6.7% last year. These results were driven by the savings from the productivity initiatives from the CIP, reduced spending, and governmental subsidies. <clears throat> Excluding the government subsidies and net of the additional obsolescence, the adjusted EBITDA would still have been been much better than last year at $8.6 million and a margin of 9.1%. We believe this, profit, this profitability is sustainable and will be further improved. In fact, our team is acting with great urgency and continues to build talent in the areas of logistics and sales execution in this environment. That, it completes my first section. I will now turn the call over to Eric to, to review the uh, financial review. Thank you, Brent, and good morning, everyone. In the third quarter, our net finance cost was $8.8 million compared to $7.9 million last year, mainly due to higher interest rates following the issuance of the convertible debt in December 2019 and the bank refinancing in May 2020. In addition, our income tax rate was much higher at 34.5% this quarter compared to 8.5% last year, primarily due to the non-taxable portion of the gain on the sale of the poor-collar program in 2019, as well as the taxable portion of this same gain, which was offset by the utilization of capital losses previously rec unrecognized. Excluding this gain, the 2019 tax rate would have been 26.8%. As a result, we reported a net income of $4 million, or $0.11 cents per share, versus a profit of $25 million, or $0.58 cents per share last year. 
Adjusted earnings for the quarter were $8 million, or $0.18 cents per share, versus $11 million, or $0.25 cents per share last year. The decrease in adjusted earnings was mainly attributable to lower adjusted earnings before tax and a different income tax rate. However, it is important to note that the adjusted earnings improved significantly on a sequential basis and turned positive in the quarter. Now let me comment on our cash flow on page 15. Recall that our third quarter cash flow from operation is typically positive, and we were able to maintain this seasonality trend even in the face of COVID-19, where our revenue were impacted by 12% compared to the same period last year. We generated $62 million of cash flow from operation in third quarter versus $2 million last year, and $35 million in the second quarter. This significant improvement was mainly due to our tight working capital management and the timing of vendor financing. We continued to manage our inventory tightly. In fact, since the beginning of the year, we reduced our inventory level by approximately $140 million, of which approximately $100 to $110 million should be considered a permanent reduction of going forward. As a result, we generated $33 million of free cash flow for the quarter, compared to $30 million last year. This increase is primarily due to lower capital expenditure in line with our tight cash management plan. Turning to page 16, you can observe that we kept our capital deployment to a minimum. In the third quarter, we continued to invest modestly in CapEx and merchant advances and use our cash mainly to reduce our debt in line with our capital allocation priority. Note that the dividend paid in April was the last one paid as all future dividends have been suspended in order to provide more financial flexibility. Turning to page 17, as at September 30th, 2020, our outstanding total net debt stood at $397 million, including $97 million of IFRS leases obligation, a decrease of $47 million versus the $444 million, and $94 million respectively three months earlier. We were able to accomplish this in a difficult operating environment due to efficient control over working capital limit and reduced spending. When you exclude IFRS leases obligation, total net debt to adjusted EBD stood at 3.2 times versus 3.29 times for the same period last year and 3.6 times in the second quarter. Turning to page 18, furthermore, we maintained sufficient liquidity at the end of the third quarter. We had $252 million available in our credit facility, $19 million of cash on hand, and $17 million of letter of credit for a total of $254 million of available liquidity. We remain in compliance with our bank covenants. Based on our assumptions and expectations, we believe that our current liquidity and future cash flow in the coming periods will be sufficient to meet our operating financial and capital needs. Turning to page 21 for the outlook. Let me start by saying that yet there still remains significant uncertainty going forward from the pandemics. Our outlook is based on certain assumptions and visibility as of today. As mentioned a few times on this call, our sales are highly correlated to the market. The aftermarket and refinish market for October 2020 showed seasonal and COVID-19 weakness compared to September, breaking the sequential improvement experience since the beginning of the pandemic. More specifically, for Finnish Master, we continue to expect sales recovery on a regional basis, with national and MSO sales recovering faster than the independent channels. Overall, it will take more time for the sales of this segment to fully recover. In fact, at this point, we expect the refinish and PBE market to continue to be behind the pre-COVID-19 level for the short medium term as lower miles driven and traffic density has significantly impacted the claims. For CAG, we expect fourth quarter sales to be in line with the same period last year when normalized for the disposition of the ProColor banner last year. For TPA, we expect the Ministry of Transport required testing will be more than offset by the market challenge 
with the ongoing shutdown due to the second wave of COVID-19, coupled with the hangover effect from the uncertainty of supply chain impact related to Brexit. However, we do not expect this dip to be the same level as the one experienced in the second quarter, since the Ministry of Transport has, no further, has not further delayed inspection and installers so far remains open. Overall, we expect the experience supply chain issue with manufacturers pattern into the first quarter of 2021 to continue, to expect the company consolidated sales to be back to more normal levels starting in the back half of 2021 or early 2022. For modeling purposes, net finance costs in the fourth quarter should be marginally higher compared to the third quarter, while the Q4 tax rate should be between 20 and 25%. We'll continue to focus on tight cash management in the period of reduced demand. In fact, we expect to generate neutral to marginally positive cash flow for the operation, from operations in the fourth quarter. We will manage capital investment and working capital prudently. As it relates to CapEx, advance to merchant members and incentives to customers, we are in the process of relaunching certain initiatives and others will be delayed to 2021. For the full year of 2020, we now expect to invest between 10 and 12 million in CapEx and approximately 6.5 to 7.5 million or approximately 45% of what we invested in 2019 for merchant members and incentive to customers. Taking into account all these variables, we expect our total net debt level at the end of the year to be similar to the third quarter. However, it should be noted that we expect the debt level to raise in the first quarter due to seasonality, restocking, and payment of rebates to our members. In line with this, we expect to use our greater level of cash flow from operation in the first quarter of 2021. We are confident that we have a solid financial plan to address the current crisis and sufficient liquidity to meet our current operating and capital needs. This completes the financial review of this third quarter. I will now turn the call back to Brent. Thank you, Eric. In conclusion, we expect the fourth quarter to be a softer given the normal seasonality patterns. The volatility and market conditions brought on by the onset of the second wave of COVID, as Eric mentioned and the slower recovery in the paint business in the U.S. But we, are, we continue to be confident that our business and our ability to maintain our market share and our, and our market position. We're ex- we are executing a continuous improvement culture for sustainable results and growth and are building a talented leadership team with a high level of focus on execution and urgency. We have the financial flexibility to execute our business plans in each one of the businesses. We are a resilient industry, and we are proving it each and every day. I would like to first thank our team members again for their commitment to adapt and to execute, and for our customers and suppliers and shareholders for their support. With that, I will turn it over for questions. Thank you. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Again, to ask a question, press star 1. And your first question comes from the line of Benoit Poirier with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Good morning, Brent, and good morning, Eric, and congratulations for the, the strong improvement in the results, especially in the, the current context. Uh, when we look at your comments in terms of outlook, obviously it seems that the cautious outlook about the uh, given the, the, the second wave. Uh, gentlemen, where do you see the greatest impact and what kind of weakening have we seen in October uh, in comparison to, to September? Well, I, I would say that right now our, our biggest concern and focus certainly is probably the TPA uh, in the U.K. 
uh, with their their reactions to COVID-19. Certainly, we're we're having hot spots inside of Canada, but really, I would say TPA at this point. Okay, that, that's great. And great disclosure about the impact of uh, government subsidies. Are there any amounts we should expect in in Q4 and beyond? The, the only amount for now, uh, Benoit, that we foresee is uh, subsidies in the UK as it relates to operating expenses. Uh, they have a program to uh, to uh, support the companies on the least uh, type expenses, so it should be in the same type of magnitude that we've disclosed in Q3 or Q4. Okay, that's great. And also congratulations about the uh, recent addition with the uh, dog quotes. Uh, could, could you discuss the opportunity to leverage uh, dogs' uh, strong background and maybe provide an update on, on the strategy in Western Canada and the opportunities uh, ahead for Uniselect? Well, I, you know, I think Doug's uh, long tenure in the automotive aftermarket of running stores and understanding the market will certainly benefit all of our team members as well as our, our uh, customers, um, and uh, certainly we feel it's a huge opportunity for us to do that. You know, he and Jason both are, are industry guys within the Canadian market uh, for all their lives, so we feel like it really aligns us to be able to leverage their expertise, and and certainly we're very proud that we could have both of those uh, those guys leading the, the Canadian group. Okay, and with respect to the uh, recovery to pre-crisis level for CAG and TPA in the back half of 2021, th does the uh, second wave change your uh, expectation about the, the timing of the recovery for those two regions? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll speak and then I'll let Eric comment. Um, I think that that's the reason we're, we're staggering it to the latter part of 21 and the early part of 2022. Um, because uh, I think, you know, the trend was very, very positive for us in Q3. Uh, and uh, so we're being, we're just trying to be cautious. Uh, and certainly we're not uh, pessimistic in any, in any any shape, form, or fashion. The business is so solid in all three. So, Okay, that's great. And last one for me. Could you just talk about the price paid and revenue contribution for the two stores that came from the uh, acquisition of Pièce de Taux Saint-Jean? Yeah, so uh, the price paid is approximately uh, $5 million uh, overall, and uh, the contribution uh, will be uh, – I mean, I, I'm not going to disclose too much details on this one, Benoit, it's, it's relatively small, uh, but I think it fits squarely in the strategy of Canada, and it will enhance the results of Canada over time. So uh, we're quite happy with that addition. Okay, and $5 million, it's U.S. or Canadian, I think? Yeah, it's all in. It's about a U.S. dollar equivalent. Perfect. Okay. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. And your next question comes from one of Faraz Ahmad with Larshan Beck. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Congrats on the uh, the excellent quarter. Thank, Thank you. Uh, my first. No. Just my first question is just on. Um, I was hoping maybe we could dig into Finish Master a little bit. I appreciate the color that you provided. But just wondering, um, maybe if you could, you know, speak to what you're seeing with regards to um, the MSO sales recovering faster than the independent channel, and really what's driving that. Yeah, look, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, question in the sense that uh, what we've experienced and what we've seen in the various channels is that the MSOs have rebounded faster. Why is that? 
there's, there's a couple of theories out there, but one could be simply that the insurance companies are redirecting traffic to those MSOs since they have the capacity to accommodate that volume uh, with the overall decrease in the market of activities. Uh, and some independent, I think, uh, were slower to, uh, to get back into the, uh, the, the cycle uh, that experienced in, in Q2. So what's interesting is some of the independents remain open throughout Q2. Uh, they preserved their, their volume to a certain extent. They, they were impacted by COVID, obviously, but they stayed open. Some MSOs actually shut down in Q2, uh, a number of, of their uh, uh, company-owned uh, operations, and have restarted them somewhere in, the, in Q2 and, and sort of back on track, right? So it's that mix that we saw the evolution in Q2 and, and uh, further uh, testimony in Q3 where the, the MSOs clearly have rebounded a little bit faster. I don't know, Brent, if there's anything you want to add to that. No, I, I would concur. I think, you know, they're, they're just uh, very aggressive as they've come back out of uh, the COVID shutdown. And uh, it's just a, a channel shift that I think we'll continue to see. Okay. And in, in terms of, I guess, going forward, you know, perhaps maybe looking ahead, um, do you think, like, this kind of mindset that insurance companies are taking with a preference for MSOs in this environment, do you think that will continue post-COVID, um, perhaps if they see better service levels? from the MSOs versus the independents? Yeah, I mean, look, um, it's hard to speculate what, what they will do or not. Uh, I mean, the, the MSOs have a value prop. The traditional segment has a slightly different value prop, so it depends on what the customer is looking for. Uh, and, and ultimately, the insurance companies uh, are probably trying to balance the two, the two sets of books, right? And my experience with insurance companies, they don't want to put all their eggs in the same basket, so they do want to have some diversification to service their customers. Uh, and we would expect some of that to continue. Having said that, there is clearly a long-term trend of consolidation in the MSO market, uh, in the refinish market, and that trend, in our opinion, will continue in the foreseeable future. Okay, great. That's, uh, that's very helpful. Um, I was also hoping maybe we could um, – I, I was curious about the margin, and, you know, it was very strong this quarter. Um, just curious how we should look at a sustainable margin going forward. I mean, there was a bit of noise with the cost out and the, uh, the government support this quarter, and, uh, and I, know, I know you provided some color on what the margin would have been uh, without the government support, but um, how should we look at it, you know, the next four quarters? Well, look, uh, Brent will compliment, but if I take it by business, in the Canadian business, uh, in our opinion, it's, it's very sustainable. Uh, you know, it, it is seasonal in Canada, as you know, the Q2, Q3 historically have always been stronger than Q1 and Q4, partly because of weather-related events. But notwithstanding all that, we expect uh, improvements and sustainable improvement in the margins that we've experienced in Canada. Uh, Q3 was a very, very strong quarter. In fact, uh, probably one of the strongest in the last five years from my own personal experience. Uh, there's been a lot of things done in the past, and it's, that journey started in 2018. And, and you know, there's some robust processes and, and uh, procedures that have been put in place. And as we've optimized the resources, we see the benefit, right? And uh, we expect that to continue its course in, uh, in the, those type of range, removing obviously the subsidies. Uh, on TPA, look, we're quite happy with the rebound. Uh, there's real uh, actions that have been taken. Uh, we, we, I will say on that basis, we'll be walking before running on, on the margins, but we're very encouraged by the progress made uh, at TPA uh, throughout the year. And uh, there's good things also being worked on that should make this sustainable. Finish Master, it's, it's, a, it's a mix, right? I mean, the fact that I, we lost uh, north of $50 million of revenue uh, this quarter compared to the prior uh, quarter last year, 
volume has an impact on, on a distributor margin. So you've you got to factor that in in your analysis. Uh, we believe it's at least 100 basis point of impact on the BDA, just the volume aspect, 100, 120 basis points. And then you looked at the dynamic of the market, the MSOs, and we're working really hard to, to right-size the model uh, and service the two, the two key channels, the traditional and MSOs. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll report more on that segment uh, as, uh, as we uh, continue to work on it actively. And if you look at the roadmap that we set for Canada first and TPA and now FM, uh, we're, we're hopeful that there's good things coming down the road. Okay, great. That's, yeah, yeah. that's very helpful. Sorry, No, I was just going to echo uh, um, Eric's comments. I think that uh, both TPA and CAG are, are the margins are in line with our expectations based on the work we've done, and uh, and quite frankly, we're we're beginning to do the same kind of work and process inside TPA and LFM, and certainly uh, we're dealing with a bit of uh, fluctuation due to volume, which is a little bit different than the other two businesses. Okay, uh, makes sense. And then just last one for me, um, you guys mentioned that you took a, a bit of a reserve on uh, some inventory. Just wondering if you could expand on that and just uh, speak to what that was about. Well, look, we with the reduction of inventory of uh, north of $140 million, uh, so it's a little, I compare this a little bit to the, the river when the water level goes down, uh, you, you may find uh, some, some elements that you're not as pleased with, and some of this is linked to that. Um, it's not abnormal when uh, when you have a change of pattern and also a bit of change of product that you're selling assortment because of the current kind of economic context that you'll you'll identify certain lines that may not be as uh, robust as you uh, you would like. So that's part of the journey that we had to take in uh, in the last two quarters. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much for answering my questions. Thank you. Thank you. And your next question comes from line of Jonathan Lamers with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, thanks morning, for all John. the comments so far. Good morning, Brent. On, um, do you have the October to date sales for the three divisions for us? Um, look, I think it's very much in line with what we're seeing as market data, as, as Brent highlighted. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I think Jonathan at this point, what I can get on. <clears throat> so if I look at Finnish Master uh, from an organic growth perspective, uh, in October versus last year, uh, we're down about 24%. Uh, in CAG Automotive in October, it's about minus 2%. And in TPA, uh, it's minus 4%. On a combined basis, it's about 13% uh, year over year sell decrease in October. Um, and, you know, as we uh, said in our comments, it's a very dynamic environment out there, so it will depend a little bit what happens on a macro level for each country in terms of how governments are reacting to the COVID uh, situation. But it's really tracking what we see in the market. Got it. Okay. Do you have any way to frame the um, impact of the UK lockdown? I think that started around the beginning of November. All, of, all, all I well, can say is that the, it was the lockdown so far has not resulted in a, as much as a decrease of sales that we've experienced in Q2 for sure. It's very different. Uh, as we said, the installer remained open. 
um, look, every day is a is a is a you know it's a it's a really relatively recent uh, lockdown, uh, and uh, you know I think October sales are came out better than we expected. Uh, so we'll we'll address this uh, as uh, we experience what's happening in, in the field in real time. Yeah, I think Jonathan. I think two things, Jonathan. I would say is one is that you know it's really being geo-targeted um, from the from the lockdowns and the restrictions, as you know, especially like in Canada. And then secondly, I think everybody's learning to uh, to deal and live in the new norm. Um, and it's it's not the same severity that we saw, in, certainly in Q2. Thanks. On prior calls, you've provided the percentage of stores that were open. Um, would you have the percent of stores that were open at the end of Q3? Uh, I, to my knowledge, all of our own stores that we have not integrated, except for the integration stores, all stores are open. Yeah. Okay, thanks. And as sales recover um, and, you know, you think about reopening stores to service demand, and I'm, I'm thinking longer term, um, right. or maybe post-vaccine, can you service that level of demand with the new store base? And, like, how permanent should we consider that, that portion of the, the cost savings from the SIP? Well, I, I would say uh, that's an excellent question. I mean, we're doing right now sensitivity studies in all in all three businesses about where our footprint is and where the market is, and 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 how do we you know how do we grow? We're not uh, we're not going to contract stores for uh, you know. So we're looking at where the green fields need to be in the UK. We're looking at where we need to grow in Canada. Uh, hence the reason for the acquisition. Uh, and, and quite frankly, we're, we're beginning to do that work uh, with LFM. We certainly believe that we can service the, the the 2019 run rate easily with the footprint we have today. Really? So even if demand were to recover yeah. all the way to 2019, you could fully service yeah. that with the new footprint? Okay. I think so. Um, yeah. And would that would that include would that include the labor though? Well, I think well, no, no, no question. You would have to increase. Uh, frequency of delivery and drivers, and so the variable rate of labor would certainly have an impact, but from a physical plant uh, and a branch count, that's really what I was speaking to. Okay, and I'm not sure if you're able to share something like this on this call, but would you be able to frame the portion of labor that's related to del deliveries versus, um, you know, branch staff? No, for competitive reasons, we would not, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, that's fine. Um, on the acquisitions, uh, you know, encouraging to see small acquisition in Canada this quarter. Are you able to comment on the um, pipeline going forward and, I don't know, how you're thinking about managing cash in this environment? Well, uh, certainly uh, we're certainly being prudent with, with our cash, but uh, we're talking to all of our members. We're talking to them. We're, we're trying to understand the market and what the opportunities are, and we'll address those as they come up. Uh, and this was something we've been working on for some time, as you can imagine. So, um, but we're certainly optimistic about the future, especially for Canada from that regard. Okay, and maybe just on um, Finish Master Brent, uh, I realize it's very early days 
in terms of your assessment there. But uh, when are you able to expand a little bit on when you might be able to share with us more about um, your next wave of initiatives? Well, I would say we've we've got some we got some real work going on right now. I would I would think uh, certainly by uh, first quarter we'll we'll be able to get more color about where, what we're doing, and, and certainly we've been pretty transparent about our CIP um, in the past few months, and we'll continue to be not just on LFM but on all three businesses, but certainly LFM. Okay, thanks for your comments. Thank yep. you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone. And your next question comes from the line of Zachary Evershed with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Congrats on the quarter. Good morning, Zachary. Thank you. Uh, so the question I had on the CIP was just answered. Um, so just a quick one on the permanent inventory reduction, which looks quite impressive. Um, do you expect that there's going to be any issues with managing fill rates, any sacrifices that had to be made on breadth of scope, or will you be able to maintain the same service levels just on a much reduced inventory platform? So uh, I, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, take the, I'll take the first pass at that. Uh, certainly none of the, the reductions of the inventories were really designed and, and put any in jeopardy to our fill rates. Um, you know, we, we just adjusted to demand cycles. And it allowed us, as you know, to really uh, destock inside of LFM. Um, but I would say that you know, certainly we're we're investing back in the inventory strategically, uh, and we're working with our supply partners because they're having supply impacts right now, as you know. Um, and that's global. That's just not in Canada. That's in the UK. That's here. Uh, it certainly isn't in the PB sector as it is in the automotive. So uh, clearly, what we believe the levels are today, we can sustain it. Uh, uh, I think that we've messaged about $100 million that is permanent, and that's that's really where we're going to stay. Yeah, I want to make clear that the, the reduction of inventory uh, was not done to the sacrifice of the fill rates, uh, quite, a, quite a, the opposite. And the reason why there might be some fill rates issues is more with their supply uh, and manufacturers that had to shut down during the COVID and had a hard time to, to restart production line and, and be as efficient and productive as they were uh, pre-COVID, just a time to ramp up the production lines. And that's certainly what we've experienced in, in more so in the auto parts business and to a lesser extent in the finished master business. That's really helpful. Thanks, guys. I'll turn it over. Thank you. And your next question comes from line of Carolina Jolie with Gabelli. Please go ahead. I guess thank you for taking my question. Uh, so my question uh, is more about the covenants that you outlined in um, the pre-release, um, which was very helpful. It looks like, um, you know, obviously your 2020 uh, covenants um, are, are fairly easy to meet given what you did today and what you said about October. Uh, but can you kind of just talk about the 2021 um, puts and takes and what you think there, what you're thinking there, and and if there's any um, um, any thoughts around if if this COVID shuts things down, um, what what might happen there? So, um, well, in the investor presentation, you do have the covenants. Uh, clearly stated from 2021 all the way to 2023. So I would refer you to that page, uh, I believe it's page 19 of the investor deck. Um, 
and you have the ratios and the financial covenants. I think the important thing is we have a financial covenant-like uh, structure in place to allow us to uh, weather the storm of COVID throughout uh, 2021, and including 2020. And the first leverage test applies in Q4 2021. Uh, and it's based on a trailing 12 months of EBITDA and the uh, same, same type of methodology for interest coverage ratios. Um, look, as it relates to COVID, uh, I think uh, if I would have that answer, I guess uh, I would be happily retired, right? <laughs> the reality is we, we have to manage the business uh, with a lot of uncertainty, and we've done that, uh, and I think we've demonstrated that in Q2 and Q3, and we'll continue to do so. Okay, and any um, thoughts? Any you know thoughts on puts and takes of meeting those 2021 covenants? Well, I I don't foresee any issues of uh, being compliant to our our covenant at this point. Uh, as I said, uh, Q1 uh, 2021 and all the way to Q3 inclusively, uh, we have very minimal uh, uh, requirements to meet. Just take the minimum liquidity requirement, it's $35 million. We had $452 million of liquidity this quarter. So I said sorry, $252 million of liquidity. So I think we have plenty of liquidity uh, in front of us. And uh, the EBITDA is a, is a trailing 12 months total EBITDA requirement that we need to achieve. Uh, so I, I don't foresee any issues there. Great, thank you. And there are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to the presenters for closing remarks. Thank you very much, Julie. I'd like to thank each of you for being with us today. Uh, we're very encouraged with our Q3 results. We look forward to speaking and updating you guys on our, our next quarterly call. Until uh, then, be safe and, uh, and have a good day. Thank you very much. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.